Amen. Thank you so much, Jolene and Nick. Good morning, everybody. Hey, uh, I missed you all. I was gone last week, uh, getting some time away with my family in California. So it was a little bit of a rough transition coming back, but I have to say I was excited to come back and to get to be with you all and to begin this new week uh, together and uh, excited about uh, what the Lord has in store for us this week. Sometimes we have an overriding theme in chapel. Sometimes we don't. We just have uh, a diverse sampling of speakers that are coming in to share what's passion, what's on their heart, and that's this week. And so uh, let me give an overview of the week and I'll, I'll introduce uh, today's speaker. Uh, so uh, today's speaker is Pastor Seth Martin, who I'll share a little bit more about in a moment. Uh, tomorrow we have one of our very own students, Joey King, who will be sharing. And uh, Wednesday we have Dr. Scott Stripling, who is the primary, he's the, uh, the excavator of, 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 of biblical archaeology at Shiloh. It's going to be a really uh, interesting talk to hear, uh, hear from him. Thursday we're in here for one of the alternative chapels, for his prayer chapel. And then Friday, uh, Praise Chapel being led by one of our student bands. And so uh, really excited about this morning, though, as I mentioned, Pastor Seth Martin, who hails from Arkansas. He is actually in the middle of weathering his first winter uh, here in Minnesota. And his wife, who is from Minnesota, is teaching him, kind of showing him the ropes. So he came in today, was well bundled up this morning, had his snow boots on and everything. Uh, uh, but he is actually in the process of planting uh, the Brook Community Church in South Minneapolis, told me he picked South Minneapolis because he thought maybe it'll be a little bit warmer there. Uh, but finding that's not necessarily the case in the bold north here. Uh, but really excited to have uh, Pastor Seth with us this morning. Would you give him a warm Minnesota and Northwestern welcome? And would you place a handout over our brother Seth and a hand up as we pray for our own hearts as well. Father, thank you so much that we can pause in this moment and recognize that by your sovereign will, you have brought us together. And that you have also brought our brother, your servant, messenger, and son, Seth, to us. And we pray that you would fill him with your spirit, that as we worship through song, that we worship in prayer, that we worship through the word, we recognize that they're all connected. And we thank you for your word that will be pressed through um, the personality and the unique person um, of our dear brother here. Pray that you would give him understanding, uh, utterance, and unction as he speaks your word to us. And Lord, I pray that you would give us a fresh recognition of who you are and that through the words you'll share through him that we would be changed from one degree of glory to another, recognizing that you are worthy and that is why we are here together. We love you, we worship you, and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Oh, bless the Lord, oh my soul. Can you guys do me a favor? Can y'all celebrate Jesus in here this morning? Yeah. Amen. Listen, can you guys do me a favor? Can y'all clap for my good friend just as well? Can y'all celebrate him? So grateful for him and just for the chance to, uh, to come in to get to share with you all. Listen, I'm not going to lie to you all. I didn't know if y'all were going to be here this morning. Um, I had no idea. I'm from the South, like he said. I'm from Little Rock, Arkansas, born and raised. I got a little South in my mouth. And so the truth is, uh, in Arkansas and Little Rock, you get an inch of snow and ain't nobody moving. We're not moving. We're not. You stay in the house. You go grocery shopping. You don't move around. So uh, I'm glad to see all of your smiling faces this morning. Amen? 
Amen. Listen, friends, I want to share with you all uh, something that the Lord has been pressing on my heart lately, even in my own personal uh, life and my personal walk with the Lord. Um, and, and I believe it's going to be a blessing. I just want to invite you guys into a little conversation that me and Jesus have been having in my life. Is that all right? Amen. John chapter 4. If you have your Bible, John chapter 4. Got your Bible, got your smartphone, whatever it is. While y'all getting there, can y'all do me a favor? Can y'all also celebrate my lovely wife? She came with me. Can y'all celebrate my wife? If you don't know which one she is, just look for the finest woman in the room. That's her right there. That's, that's the one. I'm not saying none of y'all aren't beautiful. I'm sure you are. You are. You're beautiful as well. But that's the finest one in, woman in the room to me. Amen? John chapter 4. Uh, and I want to read into your hearing verse 31. Uh, through 38, if that's okay. John chapter 4, verse 31. This is how it reads. This is John's account of this particular, this particular encounter that Jesus has. Verse 31, it says, this says, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Has anyone brought him something to eat? And Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. Verse 36 says, and already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. So that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. Verse 38. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Can I get a good amen right there? Amen. Guys, for the time that's ours to share, they got a clock on me right here, so I'm, I'm going to rush through this thing. But for the time that's ours to share, I, I want to preach to you and, and encourage you from this particular thought. Don't miss the point. Don't, don't miss the point. Friends, it was interesting. It was only about 25 years ago that a doctor, a guy by the name of Lynn Meshberger, noticed something peculiar about Michelangelo's famous work, Creation of Adam. It had set lifted above on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel for some 500 years before a seemingly small detail was noticed. He surmised, Dr. Meshberger, he surmised in his essay in the Journal of American Medical Association, or Association rather, that Michelangelo had symbolically portrayed God imparting intellect to Adam. He noticed that several elements of this particular painting, friends, they, they made sense only if they were serving the larger purpose of depicting a brain. This, this theory, this, this idea by Dr. Meshberger, it was, it's only been reinforced to some degree by the reality that Michelangelo was known for, for dissecting corpses in his day so that he could further his education and his knowledge about the human anatomy. Now, friends, I will say that this idea, this theory that, that, that Dr. Meshberger had, had come to, it has been met with opposition 
by, by individuals who are experts in, in art and in art history. They, they surmise that if you look at something too long, it, it will look like whatever you want it to look like. So they surmise this isn't true. But I will say there is something interesting about this theory that he presents. Something startling and I think even something to be learned from this idea because what is most interesting to me about his particular idea, this, this theory that for 500 years something set atop a ceiling that millions of people have looked at yet he was the only one, the first one to see something that nobody saw. What's interesting about that friends is it tells us if it's true that you can see something, see a picture but still miss the point. And friends, I believe that, that in some ways, this is a troubling thought, yet a sobering reality. Because if we're not careful in our lives, if we're not close to listen to the creator that made us, we can see the picture of life, but miss the point of life. And I believe that this is in some ways what Jesus is helping the disciples, you and I, to avoid in our lives through this text. Because he understands better than anyone. He knows us better than anyone. And so he understands reality that we can misunderstand and overlook sometimes what is right in front of us. And how relevant, friends, is that in our culture? Because we live in a day where, where people are looking for what is right in front of them. Mainly fulfillment. People are looking for fulfillment. They're searching for it too in, in all of these places, searching for it in their likes on Instagram. They're, they're searching for it in their, in, their, in their mate that they hope will come into their, to their lives. They're, they're, they're searching for it even in their education or in the heights that they aspire to rise to, searching for fulfillment in all these places, but, but they're missing what's right in front of them. They're looking for significance in their money, significance in and, and their affirmation that they get from their social media. But Jesus teaches the disciples here in our text, and I believe this is what Jesus is trying to teach us, friends, is this simple truth, this one simple reality that God has called you and I to do an important work with eternal consequences, and true fulfillment in life only comes from doing that work and glorifying God. That's what I want you to know. That's what I want you to take away. That's, that's what you should tweet. The reality is that God has called you and I to an important work that has eternal consequences. And fulfillment, though, only comes from trusting in God and from living out that purpose that he's placed on our lives. That's what Jesus, I believe, friends, is trying to teach us, that fulfillment, it's not found in the physical, but it's found in what is spiritual. It's, it's not found in, in what you take in, but it's found in what you pour out. It's not found in, in how high you can ascend in your life, but it's really found in how low you can go in your life to serve the purposes of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where, where fulfillment is found. I want to tell somebody that if you want to find significance in your life, if you're seeing a void in your heart right now, you ought to devote your life to the advancement of the Savior. This is what Jesus, what he, what he does, he devotes his life to the advancement of God's will that, has placed on a, a, that God has placed on his life. He lives to do what he was created for. I said that too fast. Let me run that back by you. Come, come here for me. Lean in, friends. He lives to do what he was created for. That means he tailors his actions, his everyday activity to the reality that God has put a purpose on his life. That means fulfillment isn't about what I achieve or acquire in my life, but it's about how I allow God to use my life. 
Let me say that again. Fulfillment is not found in what you achieve or what you acquire in your life. It is found in how you allow God to use your life. That means you can acquire the house you want, the job you want, the position you want, the spouse you want, and still be empty. You can achieve to the heights you aspire to. Be named a partner in a law firm one day. Be awarded for your excellency. Get the GPA that you wanted. Get into the grad school that you wanted. And still be empty. But when you allow Jesus to use your life in whatever avenue that he's placed you on, he leads you in a way that it brings such a level of significance and purpose to your life. And that's when your life would have made a difference. So, friends, I, I got only 17 minutes, so let me give you a little bit of context. Let me give you these, these three little things that I think you should take away with you, and I'll sit my chocolate stuff down. You ready? Come on. Here it is. Watch this. <laughs> Here's the reality, friends. Jesus, he's fulfilling his call in his own life. He's making his way north while traveling, and he stops in a little town called Samaria. Now, for you Bible nerds, and I mean that in the Christian way, <laughs> you know exactly what that means. But for the rest of us uh, who, who may not be as astute sometimes, we got to do a little study sometimes. So him stopping in Samaria, it's, it's actually quite significant. It's significant because the reality is Jews, they had no dealings with people from Samaria. It, 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 it wasn't a thing. The, Jesus says, Jew friends, and, and, and the inhabitants of Samaria, the Samaritans, they, they were Gentiles. They were considered a mixed breed, uh, not fully devoted to the law, not fully devoted to the lifestyle of, of, a, of a good Jew, friends, if you will. And so, so the fact that Jesus stops in this town, Samaria, is, is interesting. And, and what's even more interesting is that he's tired because he's, he's God. Yes, he's fully God, yet he's also still fully man. And so he suffers from the same fatigue that you and I suffer from, the same fatigue some of y'all are feeling on this Monday morning. He suffers from that. So he stops and he, he sits by a well. His disciples, he sends them into town, and they go into town to get Jesus, get him something to eat. And he sits by a well. When all of a sudden, this Samaritan woman comes, and she's coming to draw water from the well, and and Jesus asked the woman, he says, would you give me a drink, please? This is interesting, friends. This is startling because this is, a, this is an encounter that's unorthodox because, one, Jesus is a Jew. She's a Samaria, Samaritan. Two, Jesus is a man. She's a woman. I mean, this, this thing is it's, it's unorthodox for a lot of different reasons in this particular culture. Jesus asked her for a drink. The woman, she thinks it's weird, too. And so she's like, um, are you asking me? For something to drink. She's, she knows Jesus is a Jew. She knows what, what Jews think about them. So she's like, are you, are you asking me? That's when Jesus, he, 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 he sets it straight. He says, baby, if you knew who I was, you would ask me for the drink. That's, that's what Jesus tells her. Then the woman is basically like, well, who are you? <laughs> she says, who? Who are you? That's when Jesus then goes on to, to tell her, friend, tell her about herself, but then ultimately to tell her that he is the Messiah, that he is the living water, and that when you drink from Jesus, you will never thirst again. I know y'all are at a Christian school, but just in case you didn't know this, friends, when you get Jesus in your life and the Holy Spirit comes into your life and, and takes its residence in your body and in your soul, the good news is, friends, he will refresh you daily. It will be a bubbling spring in your heart, and you will never thirst again. This is what, what Jesus, he, he tells this woman. 
So the woman says, well, give me some of that water. I want some of that. Jesus, he tells her a little bit more about herself, and then he says to her, yes, I am the Messiah. After this woman receives this revelation, she does and shows the surest sign of truly being saved. She runs out to go tell somebody else. She says, I got to go tell somebody else. I got to go tell someone else about, about this Messiah that I've just had an encounter with. And right before she's getting ready to depart, the text tells us, the Bible tells us in the preceding verses that, that his disciples come back. They see Jesus and the woman interacting, and, and they're like, this is strange. This is weird. And the text tells us, John tells us, that they never say it out loud, but their face says it all the time. Y'all ever seen somebody that they, they got something to say? They don't say it with their mouth, but they say it with their face. Y'all, some of y'all are like, no, nah, but you're, if you don't, that, you're that person if you've never. <laughs> your friends don't have the heart to tell you, but you're that person. They know what you're thinking before you ever say it because your faith says it all. That's what the disciples were. That's what they had going on. They, 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 they couldn't say it with their mouths, but they said it with their faces. So Jesus, he's perceptive. He, he understands exactly what they're thinking, exactly what, what's going on in their brain. And that's when Jesus brings them in and invites them in to, to learn something real quick. And friends, if, you, if you're not careful, this, this passage, this 31 through 38, can seem out of place because why is Jesus now trying to teach the disciples about this thing right in the middle of, of, of this woman's story, if you will? Well, friends, can I tell you that it is, it's all interrelated. It's all connected because the reality is Jesus has just modeled what it looks like to live out his purpose, to reach somebody, but he doesn't want the disciples to miss the point of the picture that they've just seen. He wants them to catch it. He wants them to understand it. And I like this about Jesus because it's a, also a great reminder that we have a Jesus who doesn't ask us to do anything that he hasn't already modeled. He tells us to pick up your cross and bear it daily. Well, the good news is that he too had to pick up a cross and bear it. He, he tells us to, to love our enemies, to do, go, do good to those who spitefully misuse us. Well, the good news is, friends, that as he hung on that old rugged cross and we were his enemies because we were the enemies of God because of our sin, the good news is he, he mumbled some words and said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. That's why maybe the Hebrew writer writes it like this in Hebrews chapter 4. Since then we have this great highest priest, Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Let us hold, fa hold fast to the confession of our faith. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but in every way has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Therefore, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of God that we might find mercy and find grace to help us in the time of need. I'm telling you real quick, friends, you got a Jesus that understands you. Knows what you've been through and will only ask you to do what he himself has done. This is what Jesus has done. He models friends. And so now he's trying to teach the disciples to catch the point of what he's just done. They try to offer him food. I'm hurrying. They try to offer him some food. Jesus rejects the food. He says, I've got food that you know nothing about. They say, well, who brought you some food? Nobody brought him food because what he's trying to tell them is that his food is to do and to accomplish the work of the Lord. What gives him fulfillment, what sustains his soul, the sustenance of his body and his soul is to fulfill and to do the work of God to accomplish his 
wherefore of life. So he says, let me put it to you plain like this, friends, that he's telling us that, that, that what's important in life, what brings fulfillment in life is the fact that you and I have been called to an important work with eternal consequences. And when we engage in that work, we encounter fulfillment in our lives. So, but, but, but then that, that raises some questions for us, friends. I want to give them to you in these last nine minutes and 30, 20, nine minutes, 28, 27, 20, I just lost some seconds. He says that that's where fulfillment comes. It's, it's doing this work that God has called you to. And so in the very next verses, in, in verse 30, uh, for, friends, in verse, verse 35, he says, do you not say there are yet four months, then comes the harvest. Then he says, look, I tell you, lift up your eyes and see that the fields are white for harvest. You see, friends, in that culture, if you were planting, if you were sowing and reaping, there was about a four-month gap, friends, between when you would sow and when something was probably ready to be harvested. But Jesus says that's not the case. He says, look, lift up your eyes. See, the problem is they're still focused on the physical, but Jesus is focusing on the spiritual. He's saying that the spiritual harvest is ready right now. That the work that you've been called to, that I've been called to, it's right in front of us and it is ready right now. But you gotta look. You gotta pay attention. You gotta lift up your eyes. You can't see the picture and, and miss the point, friends. Pay attention. It's what Jesus is trying to tell them. Lift up your eyes. This harvest, it's ready right now. And that's that's your homework. I know you didn't think you were coming to chapel and going to leave with some homework, but that's your homework when you leave here today. It's to look. It's that when you leave here today, you should leave recognizing that God has called you and I together to an important work with eternal consequences, and we should actively engage in that work. God has called you to do a work, friends. Go serve in a way that points people to Jesus. You're going to go into finance, offer financial services in a way that points people to Jesus. You're going to do business, do business in a way that points people to Jesus because the fulfillment comes from being saved by Jesus and doing the work that glorifies Jesus. Can I tell you, friends, I know I'm, I'm a millennial too. I'm not, that too. I'm not too far removed from you. I'm still a millennial. Oh, you actually might be Gen Z. I don't know what y'all are actually. I have no idea. Anyway, but anyway, whatever. Whatever you are, you, you may be in your screens. Can I challenge you as I challenge myself, as me and my wife challenge ourselves all the time? Get your head out your screen and look. Because the harvest, the spiritual work, it's ready for you to do right now. There are people that are ready for you to reach them right now. There's somebody that needs to hear the message that you got in your heart from Jesus right now. There's somebody that needs the encouragement that you have right now. There's somebody that needs the affirmation that they are a child of God made in the image of God right now. There's somebody that needs to know that you can go into a workplace and not you don't have to work in the church to do ministry, but you can go in the workplace and reach people for Jesus. They need to know that right now. There's work in front of us to do right now. So, but, but three things. What should I know about this work? I'm, my time is gone. I got to give it to you. What should I know about this work? First thing, write this down. I don't even have time to run through them like I want to, but write it down. The first thing you should know about this work is that this work that glorifies God, it offers eternal benefits. Check in verse 36. 
He said, already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life. Friends, when we devote ourselves to doing the work of God, we receive a fulfillment, yes, in the present, but also in the future. Because your soul is fulfilled as you help people and lead people to knowing God and to, to experiencing the best for their lives. But there's also a reward for you in heaven. Can I get a good amen right there? Because good news is, friends, that this world is going to pass away at some point. That, that we won't always be here one day. The good news is we got a Jesus that's coming back to get us. Hallelujah. And when we go to be with him, there are rewards that are waiting for us from this work we do. Second thing, write this down. This work is a collective effort. Good news about this work, friends, that this work that God has called you to do is that this work isn't dependent just on you. But there are those that sow, those that reap. In this particular case, and what Jesus is trying to say here, Jesus is the one that has sown. And the good news is he's called you and I to go out and reap what he's already sown. He's sown his life. He's sown his, his, his body for us. He sowed his, 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 his everything for us. And he's calling you and I to go reap the benefits of what he sowed. But let me give you the last thing. Third thing is, you and I have been called to enter this work. Verse 38. Verse 38 says, I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into this rest. Check this out, friends. None of us in here get a pass on engaging in this work. I know. You're like, well, so I ain't going into ministry. You've still been called. I don't feel called to preach or to teach or to pray or none of that. Yeah, that's great. In, fi in finance, you've still been called. Jesus has called you, has sent you to enter into this work, this fulfilling work of helping other people see the Messiah. Last part is where he says that others have labored and you have entered into their labor. This is Jesus talking about his labor. Truth is, Jesus is the sower. He sold his body to a cat of nine tails. He sold his flesh to a, to a cross. He sold his blood to a thorny crown. He sold his soul into sin and to death so that you and I could reap eternal life. And help others do the same thing. That's what I got for you. I'm, I'm over my time, but I want to tell you, don't miss the point. The point is that Jesus has called you to go out and harvest, to bring people into the kingdom. He did all the sowing. He's just calling for you to go out and reap it. Let me pray for you. Father, thank you for your word, which gives us light, which draws us closer to the reality of knowing you, Father, and which convicts our hearts, which challenges our souls, Lord. And so today we pray that you would give us a heart to go out and to reap what you have already sowed, to reach people with the gospel message of Christ, to reach them in whatever ways you've called us, in whatever avenues we are in, in, in nursing and in business and in, in ministry one day, however it is, God, help us to go out because right now the work is in front of us. And so in Jesus' name, would you lead us, would you direct us, would you order our steps?
pray for somebody in the world right now who doesn't know you. I pray that we might have an encounter with them today, cross paths, and be able to share them with you. Father, we love you and we honor you. In Jesus' name we pray. Somebody shout amen. amen. God bless you.